This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. So uh, today we're talking about money. You're like, yay, we're talking about money, right? Uh, You may be feeling a lot of things when you think about, oh, church and money. There goes the pastor wanting more money for the church. There goes the pastor talking about money, and and the pastor has no idea how much I'm struggling with my own finances. The reason we're talking about money is because it's the next part of Luke. And what's so interesting is that Luke talks about money a lot. Uh, More than other Gospels, uh, Luke talks about money, uh, money more. And it's probably because he's writing to a man named, a man named Theophilus who might have hired Luke out, maybe even paid uh, for his time to be able to investigate the life and the stories of Jesus. And so Luke, who was a trained physician, uh, leaves that practice to learn more about this person of Jesus. Who was he? So he does his investigations. He talks to eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses and, and, and this is all written to a man named Theophilus so that he would have certainty about what he believes, that there would be conviction. And as he does, he talks much about money because as people who have money, there's a lot to be aware of. There's a lot that uh, Luke cautions, Jesus cautions people about money because we all want money, but even more than that, we get fooled by money. And Jesus, because he is truth and because he is love, he does not want you to go down this trail pursuing wealth and end up being a fool. And so we talk about money, and as we talk about money, uh, Jesus starts off cautioning people about wealth. It's a caution against wealth. And so verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to to divide the inheritance with me. After Jesus talks about hypocrisy, the man asks a question, right? After he talks about hypocrisy from uh, the verses before, He talks about money, and it's so interesting because you may be thinking, what's the connection between the verses before and then now? What's probably happening is as Jesus is talking to his disciples, talking about uh, hypocrisy, what's happening is this man seems to not hear anything Jesus has said. And he then, as soon as he has an opportunity, he says, teacher, and then brings this request Right? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, we've all been there, right? We've been, we've been at church, we're supposed to be listening, and then our mind is on what lunch will be about. Our mind is about that one thing that we're stressed about. And so we're not listening. And as soon as, and as, soon as you have a moment, that's what you start talking about during lunch, whatever it is. It seems like that's what is happening here. Jesus talking about hypocrisy then out of nowhere, this person who is so focused on something else then brings up this idea of finances. And so he says to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
He goes to Jesus wanting some justice for his finances, and Jesus, what he addresses, is something completely different. He cautions him about greed, about being covetous in your heart. So much so that Jesus doesn't end there. He actually goes further and tells a story for this man. And this is a story. It's a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Hearing this, I'm sure the, the man thinking, this is great. That's what I want my life to be about. I want my life to be about what? Have ample goods laid up. A plethora of material need, money. So much so that you can relax for years and just eat, drink, and be merry. Life is good. right? That's the idea. Life is good. And then Jesus throws this curveball. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know what's so scary about this parable? What does this man, this man, this rich man, what does he do wrong? He's responsible with his finances he hurts nobody, he breaks no laws, he's financially planning, he's a good steward in that sense. What does he do wrong? Why is he a fool? Why, does he, why is he considered a fool who is rich, a rich fool? It's not because he breaks the law or hurts somebody or oppresses somebody or is irresponsible with his finances. The reason that he is a fool is that he has been fooled by wealth. That's what's happened. This man is a fool because he has been fooled by money. He has been fooled by what wealth is. And so in this, what you realize is this man is coming with an issue of injustice and Jesus responds going deeper saying, oh, it's not injustice, it's actually an issue of your heart. And when it's an issue of your heart, you have to recognize it's an issue of deception. He's a fool. You see, he's not evil. Do you see that? What's characterized of him that he is a fool. He has believed something that he should not have believed, and therefore it's led him to make erroneous decisions in life. And notice the deception. What is this deception? Notice how the parable starts. The land of a rich man. He starts off wealthy. That's the irony. It's not that he's a poor man or a middle class man and therefore he becomes rich. He's rich and gets richer. And it's in that Jesus helps us see what's going on. Greed, 
never satisfies. Never satisfies. He always wants more. Uh, John D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money is enough? And he, famously, he replies, one more dollar. One more dollar. That's the issue at stake. It's not an issue of injustice. It's an issue of greed. Because Jesus knows for this man, if he got what he wanted now, it would still be something else that he would want later. If Jesus did judge and arbitrate in this situation, then it would just be another week, another month. Teacher, you did this for me. Now help me with this other business endeavor. And what Jesus is doing, like a good doctor, he diagnoses the true problem, the heart. The heart is greedy. And this is why Jesus talks about money so often. It's not that God wants your money. Do you know that? God talks about money. Jesus talks about money, not necessarily because he wants your money. Why does he talk about money so often? He talks about money so often because money reveals the inner realities of the heart. Money reveals what's really going on inside your heart. You can say you love God. You can say you love people. Jesus, in one way, can actually just look into your bank account and say, do you love people? Do you love God? Let's see where your money goes. And that's why Jesus talks about money so often. Because we have deceived ourselves. We have been fooled. We've been fooled about what life is about. We've been fooled about what wealth is about, about. And so therefore, we continue to think about all these things that we want. We get frustrated. We think God doesn't provide when the actual reality is. It's not that God does not provide. The actual problem is that we have greedy hearts, hungry hearts. We just want more and more and more. And so he talks about the money regularly. And then now you see the connection. Because now this passage follows the passage of hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is pursuing religion for reasons other than God. Right? That's what hypocrisy is. You pursue a religion. You pursue Christianity for reasons other than God. Right? You sign on to this live stream not to really worship him, but because it's just routine. It's what good people do. You didn't do it last week. You feel guilty. And so this week you, get, you join in. And that's what hypocrisy is. You pursue religion without pursuing God. And what's happening here is that this man is pursuing Jesus, but not God. He's pursuing Jesus for the purpose of money. When you think about that, you can think about your prayers. Think about your prayers. How much of your prayers are for God, right? How much of your prayers are about adoration, confessing your sin to make it right with God again, thanking God for his provision? How much of your prayer life is about that? How much of your prayer life is about, God, I need this today? God, I need that tomorrow. I need this car. I need this home. I need this job. Next morning, God, I need this thing, this job, right? The prayers look the same. 
The context is different. In high school, God, I need this girl, I need this guy, I need this grade, I need this uh, score on my, on my standardized test. I need to go into this school. You go into that school. God, I need this grade, I need this thing. College, God, I need this and this and this. Marriage, I need this and this and this. Parenting, I need this and this and this. Retirement, I need this and this and this. And you think about it. These two passages are very interwoven. Right? This, Jesus speaks these curses, these strong words against the Pharisees. Woe are you. Right? You're cleansed on the outside. You're rotten within. You pursue God, but you don't pursue God. You pursue religion. And you're satisfied with that. You're satisfied with the respect that you get for being a noble, good person. And then with the idea of money. It's, oh, the issue is not injustice outside. The real issue, there may be injustice around you, but what he's getting at is a deeper problem. It's the heart within. Just because you're going to God does not mean you're actually after God. Money reveals the inner realities of the heart. Isn't this true? Um, before my wife and I got married, we didn't have to talk much about finances because, well, we just didn't have much money. Imagine that I did, right? Imagine that I was filthy rich, right? Probably not a pastor then, but, but imagine I was filthy rich, easily making six figures U.S. dollars a month, right? That kind of wealth. And then some lady comes by, and this is, you know, my single day. Some lady comes by, right? Fall in love. Oh, it's the best thing. And then I bring up to her, you know, I want a prenuptial agreement. Right? A prenuptial agreement is that if we get divorced, I keep my money and you keep your money. How would that fly? How would that fly? And my, and with my words, what I'm saying is, baby, love you. You're my everything. But with my money, what I'm telling her, nope. Right? Nope. It's not going to work out. I don't believe in the relationship that much. Right? People don't want to do those agreements. Why? Because we all know that those agreements, how we handle our money, reveals what's in our hearts. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's helping you be aware that money is deceiving, that you can be fooled by money. You know, nowhere in scripture does it actually condone you to be wealthy. I encourage you to be wealthy. Great. But with wealth, Jesus talks a lot about it because with it, you can be fooled by it. And that's what he's getting at. He's, he's cautioning all the lies, all the ways that you can be deceived about money. And so what's the truth about wealth? The truth about wealth is this. There's several things. There's three things that we'll see in this passage. First, that wealth does not provide contentment. That's what we see here. Wealth does not provide contentment. And this is a lie. This is a truth that is genuinely hard to believe. Because in our minds, we always think a little little more money is what I need. 
But we see it clearly in the Greek language because uh, in the Greek language, the word for life is, has three different uh, words. It's bias, it's psyche, and it's zoe. And uh, these three different words of life have different aspects, categories, or ways to think about life. So bios is the quantitative life. It's how you live and it's, it's, it's what you acquire. So that's the bias life or where we get uh, biology from. It's about how many goods you acquire, right? How big you can be, right? And then there's the psyche, the inner part of life. Uh, it's about what you value. It's your goals of life, right? It's what relationships that you pursue with either goods or with people. That's the idea. It's the qualitative life. And then the third is Zoe life. This is the quintessential life. This is life as it ought to be. This is perfect life. This is the ideal life. So it's broken down between uh, bias, psyche, and zoe. In this passage, in verse 14, he says, Guard against all covetousness for one's life, for one's zoe life, the ideal life, the perfect life, the life that you really want. The Zoe life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It gives a lot of insight to what Jesus is really saying. The true life, the perfect life, does not consist of the abundance of possessions. You don't get contentment and joy out of things. If you do, we all know it's short-lived. We all know another iPhone's coming out. It always looks shiny. It's happy. We get happy for a little bit. But then we understand that it does not truly, deeply satisfy. Right? So he says, be on guard. That's what he's saying. Be on guard for the Zoe life, the perfect life that you really want. You cannot get that from an abundance of possessions. The perfect life. Listen to this. What Jesus is saying is, that life that you truly want, he is saying you do not get that from, a, from an abundance of possessions nor, nor, or, or considering how big your bank account is. None of that. The second truth is wealth is a gift. Could you imagine? Jeff Bezos comes in here. Like, hey, Jeff, long time. Never met you, but... Hey, all the money that you've earned, you being the richest man in the world, do you know that that was a gift from God? How would he respond? Don't know him at all. My guess is he'd be like, eh, I moved to Seattle. I started, I started it with this you know, online bookstore. I was the CEO. I'd made these decisions. Chances are my guess is, not knowing him, that he would think, is it a gift? Because my guess is he feels like he's earned it. My guess is you feel like you've earned your money. And it is yours. And nobody has the right to tell me what to do with my money. Well, listen to Jesus. Jesus says it this way, right? Notice the subject, right? For all, the, all you English teachers. Notice the subject of this parable, Right? Who produces the goods? Is it the man or is it the land? Is it the man or is it the land? 
who produces the, the goods. Jesus is very clear. The land of the rich man produced plentifully. And then it's emphatic, right? Throughout this inner dialogue, you know, this parable, it's, it's redundant. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And then he sings what one commentator says, a doxology to himself. Right? And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be Mary, why does he do this? Why does he praise himself? He praises himself because he believes he's done it. And I think the most clear part of this is the example that Jesus uses for the parable is not a businessman, not a tax collector, a farmer. And a farmer knows how his crops that season is dependent on the earth, on water, the sun, really God. He has no control over that. That's the point. That's the point. You see, we see our wealth as something earned, and Jesus sees it as all that has been given. It is grace. The mind that you have is grace. The ability to think that you have is grace. The energy that you have to work all those hours is grace. The fact that you haven't gotten sick so that you can work is grace. Because at any moment, God can bring not just a virus, but something even worse. It could be a global depression. That's how easy it is. And this man, do you see... He breaks no laws. He hurts nobody. He oppresses no one. He's responsible with his money. What does he do wrong? The one thing that he does wrong is he does not acknowledge God. That was the root problem. He does not acknowledge God. He doesn't, he's not oppressive. The Old Testament scriptures are filled with, with, uh, with laws about not being oppressive with your pay. Right? Not changing the scale of the balance. It's filled with that. This man has earned his money, rightfully so. And it's in this context, what he has done wrong is that he has not honored God, acknowledged God. His folly is his oblivion to God. That's his issue. His great sin is that he thinks he has no need for God. And it is God's grace then. Do you see this? It is God's grace that one day you recognize your need for God. You think that moment in your life where it was so hard, you often think it was God's wrath, hatred of you. But we all have been there. It is in that moment in the breaking, when we recognize for the first time ever, I need God. This man's sin was that he is his own God. He thinks he's done it all. And the great gift in life 
is that one day God opens your eyes and then you see, I, I need God, right? I need forgiveness. Oh, I need mercy. God, I need wisdom. God, I need your provision. I need mercy for this day. It's a gift. Wealth is a gift. And wealth, lastly, is a lousy treasure. It's a lousy treasure. Those three categories of life I shared with you, bias, psyche, zoe, uh, in this, when he says soul, he talks about the psyche, the inner values of somebody, right? What you decide to live for. So now he's saying, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And God said to him, fool this night your soul, the things that you have um, valued, made life about. Your soul is required of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? You see, it's because this man has put his hopes, his goals, his values on things, on accumulation of wealth. And that has replaced God. So because it has replaced God, God says, if you don't want me, I'll grant you that wish. Cast him aside. Wealth is a lousy treasure. and never satisfies. The great treasure that we all long for is God and God himself. And so then, how should we uh, respond to Jesus? Right? The purpose of wealth. Now, this is what Jesus, how Jesus would want us to respond. So then, how would God have us live? It says, full, this might require of you. The things have prepared. Whose will they be? And that's the question. Whose will they be? He's considered a fool. Why? Not because of, again, he broke any laws. He's been evil to people, oppressive to people. It's none of that. The issue here is that he does not fulfill a moral responsibility to love his neighbor. That's the issue, right? He's done all of this for himself. That's the problem. He does not care for others. He not, does not help the poor. And so Jesus says, so the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How are you rich toward God? Well, you're, you, you start to live for him. You value now God, right? That psyche. You don't value things now. Now you value God. You value his kingdom. You value people. And so now those are the things that you live for. So think about how that changes how you think about life. When your value is not money, when your value is not riches, when, when that is not your aim, Think about then if God is your aim, if his kingdom is your aim, his people are your aim, then what, does, what happens with money? Money naturally is used for God, for his kingdom, to help out others. Do you see how that works? It's the, not, it's, it, the idea is if you want the Zoe life, the ideal life, you have to change your values, the psyche within you. Once you choose the proper values, 
you start to have the Zoe life, the perfect life, because now you have chosen to make sure that God is God. You see, wealth is a gift given to take care of the needs of others. That's the money that you have and how it should be used. And so when you think about your money as something that you've earned, obviously it's going to be hard to give. But when you see money as a gift given to you so that you can care for others, well, it changes how you think about saving. It changes how you think about investing. Those things aren't wrong. But the goal is not so that you can accumulate more. The goal is that you save, you invest, so that you can continue even better five years from now, ten years from now, to give to God, His kingdom, His people. You see how that changes even how you think about how you're responsible with money? It doesn't mean sell your possessions all today and give it all to the poor. It does mean stewarding it all so that you can be wise five years from now, ten years from now, so that your whole life you will live for God, His kingdom, His purposes. You see, this, the, man, the sin of this man is really no different than the sin of Cain and Abel. And you know that story. It's a story of Abel. It's in Genesis 4. It's the first instance of what happens uh, to sin after Adam and Eve sin. And so Abel brings this offering to the Lord. The Lord accepts it. He is pleased. Cain brings an offering to the Lord, and the Lord says, this is not good. Cain is filled with jealousy, hatred, to the point that he murders his brother. So one chapter after, one generation after, we see murder enter into the world. And when Jesus, when, when God comes and asks, where is your brother, right, to Cain, where is Abel, how does Jesus respond? How does, how does, uh, how does uh, Cain respond? Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. I am, am I my brother's keeper? Seems so innocent, right? Am I my brother's keeper? Do I need to keep account of what he does? And Jesus would say, yes. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. That mentality, he's not my family, he's not my friend. What responsibility do I have? God, I've earned my money. And Jesus would say, that is the problem. This world, you see, that's how it operates. You take care of your life, your goods, all of that. And Jesus would say, no. That is not how you should live. That is not the ideal life. That is not the Zoe life. The Zoe life is you have committed to love these people who are in need. You have committed to live for God and his kingdom. And as you do so, you now have that that life that's truly content. You have love. You have joy. You have peace. And it's in that when you're able to love in that way, that's when you give your life to others. When you think about that, You know what the world would say of you? That's foolish. Right? That's foolish. That's your money that you earned. I saw you work all those hours, study all those nights to get those grades. You earned it. The world would call you a fool. But I'll tell you this. I'd rather be be called a fool 
by the world than be called a fool before the Lord. You are your brother's keeper. And the beauty of this is that Jesus, as he talks about this idea of being rich toward God, living for God, his kingdom, his people, Jesus, the world considers the ultimate fool, right? 1 Corinthians 1.18, the gospel is considered foolish, right? For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel is foolish to the world, but to us it's beautiful. To us it's powerful. To us it's everything. Why? Because we see that Jesus truly lived the ultimate life. He lived 30 plus years, never accumulated any wealth, lived his life truly for the sake of others. God became man for the sake of us. That's the perfect life. Do you see that? But the world will call that foolish. The world will call that tragic. And Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. As I've laid down my life, now you lay down yours. And you can only do that when you recognize Jesus has done that for you. When you recognize you do have the perfect life. You already have the Zoe life. In Christ, he's given you all that you need. And that is why you can be generous. That is why you know that as you give, the Lord will continue to provide. And so I ask you, when you think about your money, if the Lord was to look into your bank account, would he say, oh, he loves the church. Oh, he loves people. Oh, he's so generous. He always takes his friends out. Or would he say he's rich to himself? Because God is rich with us and his love, let's be rich towards others. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.